This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Tzfarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. Usually, I don't particularly care for introductions, but since I have tea to drink, I was hoping we'd carry on a bit more, and maybe at least about the Bachas, not about myself, so that I would have time, but I guess we'll have to intersperse it with it. Um, let's, let's um, I guess, frame a little bit this talk in, in terms of, uh, um, I guess, uh, reality or in terms of, of, of what's happening in current events. It seems as if Yiddishkeit has swung back and forth between what was considered to be very kind of strict letter of the law, study, observance, that's it, to something a lot more emotional slash spiritual, um, experiential. So let's go back to recent history. The Hasidic movement, however you cut it, sort of... Um, strove to inject in Judaism um, the the emotional component, the the, the, the singing, dancing, heavy emotional expression, etc. Um, in the even in the Lithuanian world, um, there was the Musa movement, which also sought to to impress that in a different way, in a, a more toned down version, but still there. You then had the pendulum swing the other way. You had, in the yeshiva world, you had the strong influence of the Chazanish and the Biskarov, and the other Rosh yeshivas who kind of drew back from that. Then, today, you have people like Rav Shalom Kalbach, who injected a lot of warmth and energy, and there's always been sort of a bit of a tug-of-war. And I guess it's important to recognize where does it belong? What's its place? For many of us, it's a piece that's attractive and important, for some people, it's no, it's kind of superfluous. And the question is, is there room for that type of emotional expression? Or is there need for it? Or the other way around? Or maybe it's something that just sort of crept in with the culture and we could better do without it. Just like to try to get some sort of bearings in Judaism. So I'm going to read from a work called the Kuzari, which some of you might be familiar with. Kuzari is an extremely seminal work of Jewish theology. It was written um, in the early, like, 1100s. It was uh, thereabout. The Rebut Levi was on who wrote it in Spain. It's probably, it's one of the first works of Jewish theology slash philosophy. It's meant to be, the presentation of it is as a dialogue between a king of the Khazars who had this dream that you're a good person, but you need to get to the right religion. And he, after investigating different religions, he came upon the Jews. And this, and this, the book is structured as a dialogue. The events, if they ever happened, it's not clear. Historically, it's, it's obfuscated. It's, it's obfuscated. It's not clear whether it's, it happened exactly or not. There were very strong rumors to that effect. It happened in six, seven hundreds. But he used it simply as a backdrop for that conversation. And he uses it as a way to present Yiddishkeit. It's probably the first work of that nature, and first sort of, I guess, Kirov book, if you might call it. 
it's considered to be extremely authoritative in the points that he makes. And it's been accepted that the points he makes are very well at the heart of a certain consensus of Jewish theology. Like everything that points here and there where people might, you know, contemporaries of his um, felt differently, but at the end of the day, it's, it's a very important work, and it's considered very authoritative. So, I would like to read, and again, I am going to read a little bit and explain, translate and explain, because I, I just would like to feel that on a topic like this, you're getting something of weight and authority rather than just my personal opinion. Um, the, the, the prelude to this, in other words, the, the Khazari king, after listening to what Judaism is about and how God spoke to men and so on and so forth, prophecy and all these wonderful things, said, you know, I don't get you people. Why don't you spend your time in a monastery sitting and studying sacred texts and that's it? That's sort of the question that he put out to him. Omar Chaver, he says, so the Chaver, who is the, who is the Jewish representative, says, HaTorah locus the Torah did not choose deprivation as the only vehicle for um, getting close to him. It, it doesn't say it, it's, it doesn't say drop ninety five percent of yourself and stick to one point. It's teaching us the appropriate measure of everything. In other words, God created a person with many sides of personality. And each side has a way to use it properly, no way to use it improperly. And it ranges across the entire gamut of what a human being is. Um, I'm not talking about physical things like eating and drinking, which, yes, they also have the thing. I'm talking more about the complex individual in terms of learning emotions, um, contrite happiness, um, and, and laughter, and so on and so forth. He says... The Torah told us to give each part what is appropriate for it without overemphasizing one part or the other. In other words, Judaism teaches a certain perfection based on what the Torah is and what the Torah teaches us, which integrates all the bits and pieces. And he says the reason is because anytime you favor one part of yourself, something else is amiss. So a person who is overly a disciplinarian He's missing out on warmth and embrace. A person overly warmth and embrace is missing out on discipline. Um, and and it gives a few examples how it is that a person is whenever you overemphasize one part, you're missing out. He says a long fast, like a fasting day, is not automatically divine service. If a person is to start with doesn't have terrible physical cravings, he's weak and frail a fast will make him more incapacitated than it will help him. So a person who's got a lot of cravings and desires and the fast is sort of meant to attenuate it a bit, that's fine. And that, that's, a person can say this is reasonable. But a person who is to start with, that's not his issue, he's got other issues, this is, this is weakening him. Um, and so on. And he gives some examples. And then he says the following. He says, this is the rule. And in other words... If I can boil down the three major areas that the Torah is going to reinforce, three areas that don't overlap, but each one is its own world, and each one needs its due. There are three pillars based on what you see in the Torah that are the pillars of Judaism, and meaning divine worship. Hayira, fear of God. Ha'ava, love of God, vasimcha and joy. Hiskarev elakecha kol arzmeilu. Use each one of these emotions to come close to him. Ve'ochein bekni oscha b'meatainis. When you feel contrite on a fast day, on a day of atonement, lo tekarv lekal yoseh ma'ashep simchaser azon tovim doesn't bring you closer to God than the simcha that you feel on Shabbos Yantif. In other words, each one of these gives you a certain element of closeness. And just like a human relation, if, if I relate to somebody, it includes many elements. 
And we'll go through those elements and, and, and we'll explain what they are. So let's stop a minute. Let's pause and first analyze the three things he says. Awe or fear, yira, love, ahava, and simcha. At first glance, they don't quite seem to have any relationship to each other, except they're all nice, they're all human emotions, but do they integrate in any way? It's like, imagine you have a three-legged stool, which is stable. When you have a stool with three legs, but imagine different sizes and going different directions. You don't get much stability out of that. So what do I mean by love, fear, or awe, and simcha? How How do I translate that? So let's take, let's go one by one. Let, imagine, let's take a following, let's take a following scenario in our minds. And uh, actually, I could take it as, as, I don't need even much, I could tell you a true thing. My wife um, was a great, is a great niece of the Chazanish. Chazanish was one of the great people in Nebrak. And he passed away, he was my wife's great uncle. And he passed away when my wife was a young girl of three or four, maybe. And my mother-in-law took her to the Chazanish to get a bracha. And she remembers this old man and banging on his knees, bacha, bacha, bacha. Like because, you know, my mother told her to ask for bracha. The Chazanish smiled and gave her bracha. So would it be a fair statement to say that she knew the Chazanish? That she'd met the Chazanish Imagine that she'd been older a bit, and she had been like from age five to seven or eight, and she would play with him, and she would sit on his knees. Imagine that would have happened. Could she say, I was very close to Chazanish? <coughs> no, she was very close to Uncle Shaya, not to Chazanish, because the person she knew was not the Chazanish. She knew an elderly uncle who was friendly. You can't, it, when I say I'm close to somebody, so... If let's say this person is a brilliant math professor and that's his life, we're next to neighbors and sometimes I help him bring in stuff for him, sometimes I help him bring in stuff. So I'm close to a part of him that's not really his self. So closeness is not going to be meaningful. Yira means appreciating who Hashem is and what he is. We can't get closer than what we know. And the deeper a person's understanding which awe is a reflection of. Yira means the sense of his greatness vis-a-vis me. The deeper that is, the more potential I have of relating to him. Because that which I don't know, so just like a six, seven-year-old child can only relate to the uncle figure. There was, actually this happened with one of my own children, the Chazanish's nephew, who was a great relative of Chaim Greinemann, he just passed away about two years ago in Pesach, a year and a half ago, Pesach. So he once came to visit my mother-in-law, who was his sister, and my boy, who was five or six-year-old, um, was there in the house. And he's a very friendly kid. He was a very friendly boy. And he, my uncle was in the mood, sort of, to take it easy a bit. And there was nobody in the house. So he played with him. He, he got down on the floor. And my son was very friendly. He said, here, let me, you look a little bit under the weather, let me cheer you up a bit, let me show you how to play marbles, or whatever, something similar. And he said, teach me. And he taught him. And, and, and they, they, you know, they played like two kids, and then my, um, my son told me afterwards, you know, I, I cheered up my uncle, and I taught him how to play this. He really didn't know how to play, but I think he's getting the hang of it. I think, he'll, I think he's bright enough to get the hang of it. He'll do it. He'll do well with it. And so he had, it's a, it was a marvelous, a, marvel, a marvelous time for him, but it's hard for me and hard for him to say that he knew his uncle for who he is. He knew an, a friendly elderly gentleman who could play marbles with you. That's about it. The, um, the, the, so Yira is the first step in any relationship with Hashem because you can only be close to the Hashem that you appreciate. If Hashem is, is, is limited, if your understanding and knowledge and depth of knowledge of Him is limited, that's where you are. That's one. Ahava, love, is as the Raman describes it. When you see something that you appreciate immensely, you're drawn to it. When you meet a person's quality and you like what about him, you're drawn to it. And so the Yira allows for the Ahava 
to take place. So I appreciate somebody at a certain level. And if I have the right sense of things, if, if this is something that resonates with me, I, then I'm drawn to it. God's goodness, God's depth, God's wisdom, and so on. And I'm drawn to it. That's Ahava. That's the second leg of that relationship. Let's go to the third one. And this is important. When a person meets somebody, I meet somebody and I'm very impressed by the person. The person is remarkable. And then, so I have the year element. I then am, am drawn to the person. And I really wish I could learn from him. I really wish I could know him. I really wish, and that's Ahava. Simcha is, when a person, our primary, our, our greatest expression of Simcha is at marriage. Because at marriage, I become a different person. I become a complete person. In other words, the qualities that I have seen in the other person and drawing close to him have become mine. Simcha is the feeling a person has on personal accomplishment, acquisition, achievement. Um, you make a shechayanu when you get something that makes you happy, when, when you acquire something. In other words, simcha is a personal sense of accomplishment and a personal sense of fulfillment. And that's why marriage and having a child is our primary examples of simcha and so on. So simcha is when I feel that my relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu makes me a, a, a fulfilled person, then I'm very much besimcha. If, if let's say I have the privilege of, of, of um, having contact with some sort of very, a person who I admire greatly. So yes, I'm very, I appreciate him, I have contact, but he's not mine and we're not going to stay around long and so on and so forth. So I don't have that simcha. Simcha is when I feel I've become accomplished, I've done something, I've become enriched. Something about me um, achieving and attaining something. So it's not enough to admire God and say God is great. It's not enough to be drawn to God to become closer. You need to feel that you have achieved and accomplished by being that. Those are three elements of, um, of, of emotional relationship. And simcha is the one that allows for outward expression. And he's going to speak about this. Now let's see what he says. He says, V'ochen, um, he says, B'kni oschob me'atainis, so the fasting and Yom being contrite about the sins we did do not bring us closer to God than the simcha we experience on Yom Tif and on Shabbos. And then he adds a point that is really, I think, the focal point of this. If that happiness comes from thought and understanding. Just like everybody understands that the, 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 the tefillahs that you say in Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah, you have to have kavana and really understand and feel it. The simcha requires kavana as well. And let's, let's it, it, talk about this. If you go to a wedding... And it's very simchadik. You know, everybody's happy and joy. And everybody's smiling and happy and bubbling and laughing and so on. Now, you look around the hall. And again, I don't know what goes on in South Africa. But fair enough, the Gemara says, that the, the ground is one ground. And things, there must be enough common ground. So that I'm sure some of this would, would, would relate to you. You look at the mechotanim. You look at the people making the wedding. Two, four people, two, two parents, two parents, who've really done so much and worked so hard and gone through so many challenges to bring their child to the chuppah. And you look at them, and simcha has a very spiritual quality to it. And you say, it's God-like. It's, it's something very spiritual. It's something very Jewish. It's something extremely divine. And then you look around, and a bunch of teenage kids at the bar, you know, sort of tanking up on stuff, really, and laughing and having a great time, and they're all over the place. It's a very different... Everybody smiles. Two different smiles. One is a smile that comes from deep understanding 
and and you know a cognizance, some really deep, and one is coming out of a lightheadedness and just kind of, let's have a blast. You know, it's the the liquor is free and it's basic. Do what you want and so on. Very very. Everybody's dancing. Everybody's singing. Everybody has smiles. Two worlds of the dancing and the singing. So the the um, the, 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 the Kuzari says it's a divine service if that emotion comes from deep understanding. I, I want to share a story um, that I heard from uh, a son-in-law of the person that happened. There was a famous Rosh Hashiva in Europe named Rabbi Ochber Leibowitz. He was the Rosh Hashiva of Kamenetz Yeshiva, he died right as the war started. He died a natural death. Um, he was known for his extremely deep shurim. His shurim were very, very deep. And his sefer, the Birka Shmuel, is a classic in yeshiva study. It's considered probably the hardest one to study. Very deep, very fine concepts. Really difficult. Um, and he had many talmina, very attracted. And he finished saying a share. And he looked around very disappointed. And he said, I guess nobody really understood my share today. And he said, no, we understood it, we understood it. He said, had you understood it, you would have danced around the bima. And the fact that you're still so dispassionate, I guess you didn't get it. So the next week after he finished the share, the Bacham sort of began making motions as if they're going to go dance. And he was disappointed. And he said, you need to know which share is worth dancing for. In other words, if, if you dance because you dance, this share doesn't have that, that, that quality of that I felt the first share. So the dancing is just, I guess, because you knew I, you know, whatever it is and, and, and I want you to dance or whatever. It's dancing and joy need to come from the mind outwards. And if the person has the understanding of it, then it, it certainly is something that the, 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 the joy is, 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 an ex, is, is a real expression of, of Avodos Hashem. And he says, Lemantismach mitoch It means being happy with the mitzvah because of the one that told you, that commanded you. Let's interpret this in, in, in something we can relate to. Um, if a person delivers a brand new car to my house, um, I will be happy, no matter who sends it. And it's not a hint. I don't mean anything. I'm, I'm, I'm just, uh, just kind of uh, using it as a marshal. And yes, if somebody, um, if somebody brings to my house, I don't know, uh, um, a little, a little something or other, a little box of something or other of stuff, candy box, and send it. Okay, oh, it's nice, candy box. If it's a close friend that sends me a box and he says, I remember that today's your birthday and I'll never forget the good times we had. And this is, this is, a, this is a token of memory. I'll be happy because, not the candies, but what it means. Here's somebody, I have a, a very close friend of mine who calls us every year on our anniversary to wish us a new Mazel Tov. This is my best friend. And it's nice every year. Every year, it's something that I'm, you know, it's nice because it's it's genuine and we and, and we're still very close. He lives in Israel, but we're still very close and so on. So he says the simcha that we have is because the lulav and esrig that we're holding is Hashem's little gift to us, and the matzah that we're eating is Hashem's gift to us. So the thought process is how fortunate I am. This is what Akash Prochel had me in mind and gave it to me for my own fulfillment and so on. And he says, um, and you, you recognize how much good he's bestowed upon you with giving you these things. And then he says another very beautiful point about Yantif, something that we really miss out because of the circumstance. What was Yantif? Yantif used to be, when we had a base of Migdash, that three times a year, um, we would leave whatever we had and we would go back to visit. We would, we, we would go back home to visit, to Yerushalayim. And we were back home. And people didn't charge rent. Everybody was welcome. 
Um, it said, you know, many halachas. So in a, we came to Isamigdash, we were invited as guests, so to speak, to Hashem's table. We ate korbanis. That's what we did. So today, Yontavi says, Uki'ilu basal abeisai kikro al shulchano umanamov. It's as if you it's as if you invited this house to sit at his table. You got an invitation to come to Hashem's Mesiba. And, and, and be grateful for it with your mouth and in your heart. In other words, the appreciation of what Yantiv is. And then he says and finally, And if the joy spills out into singing and dancing, this also will become divine service. And this will help you become attached to the divine. That's the, that's the point. That's very good. So I'd like a little bit to discuss it, to think about it. Um, the first point is we, we need to be careful. Um, emotions are expressions of something. And because the emotion tends to be the high point that we remember, so just like at a wedding, it's the high point of 20, 30 years of raising a child when you marry off a child. And if the person's always getting married, it's in you know, 20, whatever years, um, finding the person that's his or hers. Um, but taking a shortcut is not good. So there are places that, I mean, bars have happy hours. I assume it's here the same as in America. So at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, you've had enough of the office. You can drink yourself into being happy. So you don't drink because you're happy. You drink to dull the boredom so that you can at least pretend to be happy. It's not a very happy thought. It, it's, um, there's a, there's, um, there used to be an advertisement radio many years when I came to America back this time, you know, like 20 years ago. It was something about, I don't know what to advertise, maybe beer or something, and a bunch of kids say, let's be happy, let's have a party. Wow, let's go for it. And, and there's this... Uh, so basically, you express absolutely nothing. Um, you express depression. When, when a happy hour is an expression of depression, now it's 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 happy is a euphemism for somebody who's bored, tired, angry, upset. You name it. That's not a positive emotion. We need to be careful. So when a, a, a person who's got a good klezmer can get people to dance immediately. It's 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 I guess. If you got, you know, if you're down, it's a good thing to be. But understand that that's a very, very. It's a fix. It's not. That's not what real simcha v'os Hashem is. So when you need to bang the instruments to get yourself moving, it's not an expression of something, but it's a kind of substitution for something. But a person who has a deep, substantial relationship, and it, and like he says in his words, and it flows over into song and dance. That song and dance is Avodah Hashem. It, it's, it's, it's an expression of happiness. It doesn't create the happiness. And that's something we need to be very careful. Imagine, let, let's give an example. There are people who learn, and we'll give a plug for Dishwa, they make a CM in Dishwa after learning Masechta, um, uh, after learning Chelek of Shacharach, and they make a party for the person that plugged away for a month, two, three, four, five, whatever it is, and, and the party is a culmination of effort, then that's amazing. And that, that's a that's a that's a Somebody comes as a guest and just likes the people and the and the and the, and the, and the kibbutz and so on, it's it's hopefully it'll encourage him to participate in the next learning round, but he doesn't have the enjoyment and the and the sense of accomplishment. It's something that I we used to have a boy by us in Yeshiva many of the years ago, like eighteen years ago, and it was amazing. He, he was he, he was an incredible boy. He his abilities were really under average, under average, markedly under average. And he was a very easy personality, very happy with himself. You know, like like no no. He was the first one to say, you know, I need another hour to, to prepare the stuff. It's not going to go for me. What a remarkable um, remarkable sense of comfort with himself. But sometimes when he worked very hard on something. And he finally got it and drilled it into himself. He would sort of dance around a bit. He was like a very upbeat person. 
he's, he's a, a Rebbe somewhere out in, 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 in not, not by us. And I, I met him recently, and same, same, full of energy, upbeat person, happy with what he accomplishes. And I would see it, I'd be envious, because that type of simcha requires the type of accomplishment, which is the effort times the, the length of time and the, and the material. And that was amazing. So if, if we don't allow, if we don't progress to let it out emotionally, then we're missing something. Why aren't we dancing around the table? Why shouldn't a person feel to be proud and happy that he's a Jew who's been given a task so much more difficult than anyone else, and yet he was trusted with that task? People were told seven mitzvahs is enough to, to, to make you a human being and to do what a human being can do. We were told you need 630 mitzvahs for the special mission you were given. And it's tough and it's difficult and, and, a, lot of, um, and a lot of regression. But when we, when we succeed even a little bit, we should be very proud the way an elite unit is proud of what they did. Um, Rev. Hutner once said, he was a very insightful person, and they asked him, what is the single most important thing to stress in yeshivas? And he said, proud that we're chosen to be Jewish. Proud of the fact that we have a greater challenge and a greater, um, a, 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 um, a, a greater realm of accomplishment than others. I want to share a story I once heard. Sorry that I digress, but, but it's, a, it's a story that, when I heard it, was made a tremendous impact. Um, it was the first or second year I was in yeshiva, 71, 72. And one of the boys in yeshiva, somebody who was quite somewhat friendly, got married to a local Israeli girl. The girl was an orphan, and her father passed away a few years before. And at the wedding, a, a, a rab from Petach Tivka, Rabbi Yaakov Naiman, spoke. I, I think I even remember the, the girl's family name. I think it was either Yakubovitz or Kibovitz, one of those. And he turned, he was, he was very warm, he was, he was emotional a bit, and he said, my dear Hassan, you were never privileged to know your father-in-law. I will tell you something about your father-in-law that will tell you who he was. He said, he was, during the war years, he escaped to a forest, which really wasn't all that much better than concentration camp. They lived in an open pit through the winter and the summer, covered with lice and filth. Every few days they would have to scrounge around, try to find some odds and ends to eat. If the wrong type of partisan caught them, they would get shot. The Germans got to get shot. If a friendly partisan found them, they would get some help. And if, it, and if, a, if, and if an anti-Semitic partisan would find them, they, would, they might get shot. You know, the Germans, who knows what? There was three, four years worth of life like that. He said, one particular harsh winter morning, he woke up and he said, I am living in a pit, in an open pit, in a cold European winter, in a cold Polish winter. I'm covered with lice head to toe. My clothing has been washed and who knows when. I haven't eaten anything substantial in days. And someone could catch me at any time and shoot me. President Roosevelt is in his warm bed in the White House. And he's got a bath drawn, he's eaten three square meals, he's protected and warm and cozy on top of the world. If you gave me the chance to swap places with him, I wouldn't do it. And he said, that was your father-in-law. I remember it. It was a very powerful... Uh, and he said, then, you know, understand. But to me, the sense of being, being, understanding what's wanted and needed of us and being able to um, appreciate it should bring out. So I, 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 um, I instituted in Yeshiva by us um, Shavuos night after we finish learning, we leave 15 minutes time before davening, and we dance a circle. We, we dance. And I tell them, you know, 
I, I pushed for it because it wasn't that common in, in, in most yeshivas. That they don't, most the most yeshivas don't do that. And I said, you know, some story we answered the Torah, but for many boys in yeshiva, it's been a week since they really cracked open a book. Yantav Halamod and this and that. There are good reasons, but at the end of the day, so they're happy with the Torah in a, in a general sense of the word, but it's not coming off the learning. I said, you've spent four or five hours studying and breaking head on something and, and you feel accomplished. Let that segue into song. Learn that the dancing and song should express something. And this is the best way to do it. So, it's yes, it's important to have both elements, but it's important that they be connected appropriately. We need be, our culture is you know push a button and somebody somebody knocks a beat that will get you dancing. So that dance is almost like a reflex of the knees. It's got nothing to do with your self, and it can be even even with songs that are quote unquote inspirational. It, it's 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 it, what we need is exactly what Kuzari says that when you think and understand, and your thinking and understanding brings out joy, and the joy pours out into song and into dance, that whole picture together is Avodah Hashem. So I guess in reply to the question, it is important. If a person's, if a person's understanding and thoughts have not led to emotional expression, then it's hard to say that we really appreciate it. Because things that we really appreciate, um, when someone tells you, you know, the girl just said yes, you don't say, oh, that's good. I mean, you hope they don't say that. Even South Africans are probably a little more expressive than that. They, they, they would probably, um, you know, you, you expect to sort of um, lose yourself in emotion because it's really meant to be something very, very happy. Um, I was once walking when I became a husband, I was once walking with a friend of mine and somebody walked by, uh, some non-acquaintance, and he said, Mazel tov. And my friend whispers to me, he could have been Menachem Oval with the same tone of voice. Really, really no, no, no expression. So if our, if our religious activities don't ever allow themselves expression in emotion, then it's suspect. So do we really appreciate um, being having learned if we haven't danced with the learning, do we really appreciate being Jewish if we haven't sung to, the, to, to, to that appreciation? On the other hand, we need to be careful of a quick fix. And the real, the real way of Avodah Hashem is, we do, we're cognizant of what we did, and the cognizance of what we've accomplished. It's like a personal experience says, "Yes, I, I've just finished fifty years." Of working at this and building up this, that 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 realization is is the most powerful um, gateway to real emotion. So all of Yiddishkeit demands real work, real accomplishment, real awareness of what we've accomplished, and joy that comes from it. How you express the joys, different people do differently. So singing and dancing is fairly common. But a person should be overtaken with emotion. However he would normally express emotion, if a person really appreciated accomplishments in Yiddishkeit, he would express it that way. So hopefully um, we, can, we can... This is a, a tremendous organic, holistic sense of what a Torah Jew is. It's someone who knows what's right, knows that it takes a lot of work, works at it, knows that the work that he puts in is an accomplishment. He can reflect on it, understand that, and that understanding, that reflection, leads to real joy, real simcha, which if it flows into song and dance, the song and dance is Avodos Hashem as much as everything else. Yes? Could we possibly hear about... Um, I said, was a question? Yeah. Perhaps some great people that the Lord come across who and saw this epitomized in. Um, so let me, maybe, I'll tell a story again. I don't want to take people's time, but um, this is a story my brother would tell over, Reb Nassim Svi Finkel's Hainav Rafa was the Mira Shashiva. Reb Nassim Finkel was an American boy, as American as apple pie from 
Chicago, and his mother was from Minneapolis, who came to Israel when he was 15. As Americans they come, he went to co-ed school, was on a basketball team, and his great uncle, Rabbi Lezuda Finkel, the Mira Shiva, took a tremendous liking to him. He felt that this boy has tremendous abilities, and they weren't apparent to anyone else. I mean, he was an average kid and everything, wonderful person, but just an average kid. And somehow his great uncle had extra perception and really, really latched on to him. And he kept him there for a year so that he would study and a bit, and then his parents took him back to finish high school, and then he came back again afterwards. He, it always Now, the Mir is a typical Litvish yeshiva, and Litvish people are known for not being emotionally expressive and inhibited and so on, and, you know, all, all, all of that. Um, some people protest it, some people are proud of it, but whatever it is, that's kind of the stereotype. So he tells us a story that made a profound impression, and it was a struggle for him. He was coming from a well-to-do, comfortable Chicago uh, family life with normal American kids, normal American kind of... Uh, you know, milieu, a normal American, what, what kids do. And he was coming to Yerushalayim in 1960, um, where there was very little happening there in terms of um, Gashmi. I mean, you know, everything was, 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 was very, very primitive physically, and it was harsh, it was different, difficult. And he, and he said one thing that made a, a tremendous mark on him. He said he slept in his great-uncle's living room. Like, the, Reb Lezudel had a quote-unquote apartment in yeshiva. It consisted of a small bedroom and a large general room. And he slept in the general room with a sparring war. At four in the morning, Reb Lezudel got up. He obviously thought that Reb Nelson Svi was sleeping because the story would never happen if he didn't think so. He washed his hands he made Birchus Torah, and he walked over to the Shas, put his arms around it, closed his eyes, and kissed it. And there was, for my brother-in-law, he said that that memory was so seared in him. The idea of Avos Torah, just, and this is from somebody, they were not overly expressive with their emotions, but when nobody was looking, the thing he wanted to do the first day in the morning was to put his arms around the shafts and hug it and kiss it. And he said that that memory has never left him. He would speak about it. So this is a type, this is an expression of that. When, when a person's, and this is a person who had built up so much thought and accomplishment and he couldn't help but put his arms around it and kiss it. So that, that, that would be an example that I think would fit this exactly. Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah. I've often heard the expression that uh, in terms of zero is the lowest level, and then is the highest level. In terms of the fragment you're painting, uh, it doesn't seem like there's highest or lowest. It's Correct. It's almost like a uh, helix. Correct. And that's exactly what I think it describes. It says there are three foundations, three isodos. I even think when people say high and low, A, they many times refer to Yura on a very low level, meaning being scared of the consequences. And secondly, um, they also, it, it's, it's a lot of times the question is where to start from. Not always can you go in order. Sometimes you do need, you start somebody with Simcha and so on. There was, I, I was reading an account. Um, they have a book called, um, I think it's called. It, it's, it's somebody had the wits to gather memoirs of people learned in yeshivas in Europe. Well, whatever it was, if in the yeshiva world, they didn't, people did not sit and write memoirs. And it's a shame because a lot of it is lost. A lot of it people told over, but it's lost. And someone put together from people who had been there. It's been published, and it was published in newspaper and serial and so on. And one person said the following, that he had come to the Mir Yeshiva in Europe, and he said the, um, he, had, he had already been a bit of a free thinker. And he had begun to have questions on Judaism and faith and so on. I don't know where he was before, but he came. The Mashkiach of the Mir was an extraordinarily profound person of Yerucham. And he was also somebody who was 
extremely intuitive with people. And Rabbi Yochum, and he told Rabbi Yochum, I want to be forthright with the Mashkiach. I'm coming to learn Yeshiva, but I really have a lot of doubts. And I like to discuss those questions before. And he laid out his questions. And Rabbi Yochum thought a moment, and he says, let me make an appointment with you. He came on Pesach. Three months from today, you come back, and we'll discuss the questions. So he said he went to Yeshiva, and they, um, he got very absorbed in the learning. And the questions slowly began to be of less importance to him. They were still there, but less importance. He said, Shavuos morning, they would make a record also in the, in the, in the mirror in, in, in Europe. And he said, when they finished dancing the record, that's when the questions disappeared. And like he said, the learning was something that got him into it, and, and it moved him forward. But something that, that affected him as a person was that simcha. And, and he said, like he, he basically told, he told the mashkir, he canceled his appointment with him. That's the way he, the person describes the memoir. It's very, very um, interesting. Uh, but it, it is, and it's something that, unfortunately, we're not always, you know, people see Judaism as a burden, as a challenge. Um, but when, when you take it on seriously and then you feel the simcha of it, then it's a shleimus. Um, a, a good time without working hard fit is empty and at the end of the day doesn't satisfy you. Working hard without feeling the fruits of, of your effort is also not. When you're able to, to do both together, like you said, it's, it's integrated whole, then you have something that's, that, that is a shleimus of, of Yiddishkeit. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. You're the host. You get as many questions as you want. <laughs> yeah. Maybe if we dance, for, maybe if we dance, your questions will disappear. <laughs> question. Um, so let me tell you what I would suggest. And, and I struggle with the, the school that I'm part of. So you have Yeshiva Gdola, which, which almost, I mean, it's, it's almost by selection. The people who come to Yeshiva Gdola by us are people who came from backgrounds with, where to move forward, and the problem is less acute. But the high school serves the broad community, good kids, nice kids, and you've got kids that struggle. And I think when a kid doesn't achieve as much as other kids because he can't. And he's not given the sense of how much simcha he should have for what he's achieved, then he's miserable. There's just so much I can do things that I'm told I'm not good at. And that's where the tragedy lies. If we were smart enough, and it's something I've broken my head about on a bit, let's, so let's take the kid that Gemara is very hard for him. And let's say we would be able to set up a program where he could learn Mishnah well and in a way that is challenging but doable, and he does it and he would feel happy with it, he would be, he would be on the derech big time because success breeds success. People want to feel good. And they know it's genuine feeling of good. So the real challenge is to create what's right for them in a way that can... They could feel, A, they're being challenged. They, it's a challenge that they can accomplish. And being accomplished, they need the feedback that this is really something to be very, very proud of. It's just like that boy that I was telling you about. That I'm just, I was just amazed at this because it's a rare combination of that personality with, with, his, with his level of achievement. He knew that for him to study a, 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 a half a page when other people doing a page and getting it down was an accomplishment. He was thrilled with it. He, he felt very good about it. Um, and uh, I, I'll tell you just another story about this person, because he's, he's a person who really made a profound impression. I, I, you know, I felt humbled by him. He, um, when he came to Yeshiva, the person who had founded the Yeshiva was somebody called Rabbi Einem Zechon Avracha. I think he was a colleague of friends of Rabbi Tanzer, Zechon Avracha. And he was a Telzer, a very um, kind of strict, strong Telzer. 
and he was a no-nonsense person, and he, and he tested this boy, and this boy knew his stuff remarkably well. Whatever it is that he had studied before in the other yeshiva, and Rabbi Enum was very impressed, and he said, you're the first boy that really knows his stuff. What's your secret? And the boy said, unabashedly, he says, Rabbi, I have a difficult time getting the material down. I am petrified that if I forget it, I'm going to have to redo it. So I've built a system where I review stuff constantly so I should never have to be faced with the challenge of starting from the, the scratch again. So isn't that amazing? And, and to me, the amazing was his just upbeat personality. He, this is what Hashem wants of me. This is who I am. And I've done well. And I'm happy and proud of myself. It makes no difference how I measure the other person. I, in my world, did very well. And I believe very few kids, if a kid who's performing well goes off the derech, there are other things that affected it. You know, there might be a very difficult family situation. There might, there might be other things. But the, your classical, the, 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 a surefire road, a surefire exit off the road is when there's nothing for the person to feel successful about. And, and you know, it's a challenge because in Shiva's, we automatically put everything on who's the best and the smartest. And instead of challenging each one and making appropriate goals for each one and giving the feedback that this is really good for you where you are. Um, I, you know, I'll advise that that would be, would work well. Yes? Uh, I just wanted to ask, how do you guys enhance your appreciation of what you're learning if you want to be able to, like, you know, really appreciate something? Like, is, is learning, like, I mean, learning is a huge part of it, but what else can you do? Everything you do. If, uh, let's, let's say an example. Let's say a person really, a person does a lot of chesed. Person, person, and doing a lot, if somebody has a million dollars and he gives a million dollars for, for stock, you know, if, he, if he has the money to give, it's nice, but a person taxed himself. He spent a lot of time helping people. A person should reflect and say, I'm fortunate that a Kodesh Baruch Hu gave me the opportunity to do so much. We need time to reflect not only on what we need to amend, but if a person, if, if God allows us to do and to accomplish and, and, and to bring out the best in ourselves, that's something that we should be very happy with. Not the sense of, wow, am I not a great person that I did so much chesed, I learned so much, or I davened so beautifully, or so on. But it's, 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 it's a gift, it's a realization. I sweated hard, and the fact that I had this opportunity to sweat hard and to produce and to accomplish it's something that I'm happy with. I'm grateful for. I think reflection, positive reflection, is is an extremely valuable tool for leading to this. This is what we do, Yantif. Kadosh chose us. It means he thinks we have the qualities needed to to do it. Atav Chartanu, Mikol you chose all the nations. you wanted us. It's it's one of the mistakes people make about Chassidim. When you read secular literature about Chassidim, it's described as follows. People were very down and depressed, which was kind of true. And the preachers went around telling everybody, you're going to suffer in hell and you know, find brimstone speeches. And life was hard enough and people you know, gave them guilty conscience. And that's why everybody was down, depressed, miserable. And the Baal Shem Tov came and said, drink, make merry and dance and be happy. Might as well be happy. That's, um, so the answer to that is, then, you, then you're giving opium to the masses. Yes, you are dregs. People, you know, just crush you under the feet. You're wretched, living poor, true. Um, you're not doing very much in Yiddishkeit, true. So basically, but why suffer? Drink. It's, that's, that's, that's not, that, that's a fool's paradise at best. Um, the Balshanto's message was very, very different. Balshanto's message was, this, you said, the first thing you said this morning was, my God, the soul that you gave me this morning is pure. It means that at 6 o'clock this morning, 7 o'clock, or 9, 10 o'clock this morning, Hashem made a decision. And He said, this is a soul that has what to accomplish. And I'm waiting for it. And I, and, and I am confident that it has what it takes to accomplish. And it could accomplish and will accomplish. So isn't that something to be happy about? It's a, the fact that I'm here is a vote of confidence from HaKadosh Baruch Hu in me. And Akash Prabhu said, not only can you do something, you can do six hundred and thirteen mitzvahs. And you can you can do things that most people 
can only dream about because 99% of the world doesn't have that mission. So isn't that something to be happy about? The happiness latches on to Shalom Asani Goy, that you gave, that you expected of me so much more. Um, if, if a person is, 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 um, is granted entry into an honors course or an, or an upper university or something, he knows it means more work and, and, and a chance of failure, but he's thrilled because of the vote of confidence. I've been accepted to this. Uh, they, you know, they think I could come. That's, so every Jew, just by being a Jew and having an Ashama given to him by Kaddish Baruch Hu, who, who's, who's, who's voting that he could make it, that should be a cause for Simcha. Yes? Yes. That's why we try to be Samech a little bit. <laughs> I was once I was once speaking. I have two cousins of who are also real Litvaks, and their parents followed a classic, you know, you know, being kind. Of, and we were joking once. We, we're going to form the association of emotionally abused Litvak children. <laughs> and, but the truth is, I wrote about my father's Hanavrach, who was from Kovna, which is the capital of Lita, and. Um, wasn't a very litvish person. He spoke with the sin and the whole, all the works. But, you know, as I got older, there was a lot of emotion, but it was subtle. It wasn't, it wasn't impassive. It just wasn't as... My mother's family was Polish and they were very volatile. They could, they could dance and they could shout with equal, you know, like abandon. My father didn't do either so much, but there was an inner warmth and an inner, you know... Foreign of the brow. I, I want to let me tell you a Litvak story of of Litvak emotion. I I, it, it, I came to Eretz Yisrael in 1970, and I had a cousin. I had there was a Lopiansky family in Israel that was related to us. One was in Tel Aviv, whose name was Lapin, who ironically there's only Lopiansky. No, you know everyone was killed out in Lithuania, unfortunately. And Lopianskis were. No, Rebellion Lopin is not a lady. It's not our family. The, those Lopians are not related to us because we'll Aviv, they're not. But I had one family. One of them changed the name to Lapin. They lived in Tel Aviv, and their grandson became my son-in-law. I have all the interesting ironies and, uh, in Shashkafas. He had a brother who lived in Ranana. And Ranana, at that time, today it's a very yuppie town. At that time, it was, a, it was the sticks, a kind of a village, semi-farming, kind of low key low-profile village a half hour from Tel Aviv in those days. He was an older man from, very from. He had, he was a farmer and also drove a little truck selling kerosene. He had these, one of these craggy faces like somebody who's been farming forever. He, he was from 1930 there. He um, had like furrowed brows. He had like very warm eyes, warm smile, a white beard, and, you know, they looked at that type of, very grandfatherly type of person. I decided I'll visit him, Sukkis. I came in as a stroll before Shana. I didn't get around to it, Sukkis. I didn't think of calling up first and saying, would it be convenient? I was a kid, and I guess these things were lost on me or whatever. I didn't know it was fun. I went there. I got the record, I got his house, and I went. I knock on the door, and this, this you know, that's patriarchal-looking person, like deep furrows in his brow, and and the very soft eyes, very special look on his face. He looks at me, yeah, like, who are you? So I said, my name is Alan Lopiansky, my father is Rebensian, and he, he told me he's your cousin. It's a Pasik that Yaakov told Yosef, I never dreamt I would see your face, and God showed me your children as well. In that tone of voice, he said it. It was so, you know, he didn't, he didn't cry, he didn't dance, but the power of, of that emotion in the words of the Pasuk that came out of his mouth in that context, I almost like, it, it just almost shut up. He called his life, who is this? I don't know. No, you know who it is. Who is it? No, I don't know. <laughs> and it's, oh, God. But, but it, it, there was, there was litvish emotions. That's not saying. People have different ways of expressing emotion. But it, it, you need to find what's your emotional expression and then make sure that your reflection on your Judaism is something that is on par with what you're expressing over here. 
that's why there are different vehicles. Some people are very prone to dancing. Some people are not. Some people are prone to screaming and wailing and yelling and shouting. Some people are not. But you know that type of emotional expression is to be, people who are alive have it. The question is for what, and 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 that's why it's hard to make a cloud about what it should look like externally, but internally we know that type. And so even Litvaks have emotions, but they're just, it's a well-kept secret. <laughs> well, I think you would, you would look up into the question, because I only made a statement when you, <laughs> you answered the statement. And I think that, that really what I'm saying is I'm part of that group that you said initially would, would defend the Litvakism and, and, and refute the, the, the statement that we call the Litvakism. I think from what the Rof said, your definition of simple is not deeper than that. Yes. Yes. Really deep emotions that really show an inner simcha. And I think if you look at the photographs of the Bedoidim that came out of Lita, if you look at the faces, there was it was not a heaviness. It was there was a deep simcha that was permeating their souls, uh, but it didn't express itself in the in the kind of Hasidish uh, you know way no. that other people do. A hundred percent. I yes, it's true, true. And 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 you know that that's why yes. You need to express emotion, but different people have had expression. And I, and, and I need to understand myself that it crossed the bridge, it crossed that line from being just an idea to being a moving idea, uh, something that is moving. Yes, I'm sorry. I'm just wondering. Does the hostess also get as many questions as she wants, or how does it work? What? <laughs> So let me give you a marshal for that. Um, imagine you have a car that's stalled. And you get boys to push the car that's stalled. So if the car at some point catches um, and the motor starts coughing and going, then, then the pushing it was good. If you think the boys will be around forever to push the car, maybe in Africa you can get help to do it. But in, in America, boys don't stick around that long to push it. So, you, you, so if it's a type of thing where you say, you know what, I have so much to express, let, you know, let, let's get, like it says by, by, by um, Elisha, let, let's get the menagain to begin it, the process, that's fine. But, so you have to be... Yeah, yes, it is something that helps you setting, a, a of setting inspires you. And even L'chaim, if it's a jump start, that's perfectly legitimate. And that's, and that's appropriate. If, it, if it's a substitute, then, then, it's, you know, then, then it begs itself. But, but, but you're right, that's a very good uh, thing. Sometimes you need... By the way, you know, I, I hope you know Slanmer Rebbe is a Litvak. Um, Slanmer Hasidus is a... Is a um, Slonim was, he, he learned a Baranovich, which it was technically, as you know, in Europe, countries were an amorphous being. Provinces and sections, you know, whether white Russia belonged to, to Russia or to itself. And it, so, so it, Mir and Slonim, uh, uh, Baranovich, these were all cities that were nominally incorporated into Poland, but they were stolen from, from, from Lithuania. It was, it was a different, so, so the Slonim Rebbe is a real Baranovich, and it reflects itself in its chsidus. They, they they demanded a lot of the singing is very contemplative. I, I was I, I was fairly close. I, I spoke to him once or twice personally. I used to go to a lot of his tishim because I really connected with it. He was a he was a magnificent person. I see other pictures are here. Um, he was extraordinarily beautiful, extraordinarily wise. So much depth to him, so much beauty. He, he, there was a lot, and yes, it had the litvish understatement, but. There was so much, you know, you look at the Sefer, if you can read the original Hebrew, it's so beautifully emotional, but it wasn't, it, it was said, someone told me, um, one of his Talmidim, I used to learn, I, used, I had Chavrusa there, actually, as they were common, it was commonly integrated in the mirror. He was once in a shtibla in Bnei Brak, and he saw the Salman Rebbe's brother was sitting and studying some text, some Hasidic text. 
And he said there was no emotion on his face. He wasn't shaking or moving. But his face was turning red and becoming more and more intense. And you could see the inner emotion bubbling. And like he said, that was a reflection. So Islam was a bit more expressive than a, than a, than a non-Chassidus late fashion. But they also had a lot of focus. There was a famous thing that said, it says, so I could believe them. There's a Pasuk, they screamed in their hearts. That the real screaming is in the heart. You know, in other words, it, 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 wait for the passion to well up in the heart. Don't start by, by yelling and shouting. So yes, it was very part of that, that ether. So yes, that's correct. Uh, yes? Uh, if you know someone that is talking materialistic and uh, you say, or we say, or the child, when I child, is all out here to be Yeah. So then is the best way to try and get the person back to invite them for a shower supper, or how do you think you should approach it? Well, always inviting and reaching out a person is good. Trying to get a person to do something is also, it's like the exact, like we spoke before about about pushing the car to get it started. A lot of times, if you get a person to do a small mitzvah, and this is where Chabad comes in, put on film, shake a little of an esrig, it's a way to jumpstart the motor. So anytime you, A, reach out to a person, and B, get them involved in doing some mitzvah, and it's amazing how much that can sometimes begin a process. It's like people who haven't eaten a long time, sometimes even lose their appetite. But once you start feeding a little bit, it's sort of the food and the appetite come together. I think that that's a, a very positive approach. Okay, so um, thank you very much for hosting us. And um, yeah. What? That's okay, it's fine, it's fine. I, I, I finished talking, I don't need to see anymore. I, I, I'm, I'm, uh,